want to welcome those who are joining us this morning by way of the streaming service and also those who will be tuning in later on to uh, listen to the recorded message. Our call to worship this morning comes from Psalm 33, verse 12, I believe it was. Anyway, I know the reference or the, uh, the verse is, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. We may have different ideas, we probably do, about what it means to be blessed. However, this Hebrew word, the root word, has a connotation of happiness, and it could actually be translated, and you might even have a translation that says, happy is the nation whose God is the Lord. The nation whose God is the Lord will be happy. And yet, as you look around our nation, we are rich, and we are affluent, and by many markers, we are successful. And at the same time, we do not seem to be very happy. In fact, you see a lot of unhappiness in our country, a lot of unrest, a lot of anger, a lot of blame, a lot of discontentment. On the whole, as a nation, we aren't a very happy people. And of course, by extension, through scripture, if we're not happy, then we're not blessed. So how does one become blessed? What do we have to do? How do we have to be to be blessed? The Bible has an answer, actually, and you'll find it if you'll turn with me there to Psalm 1. We'll be at the very beginning of the Psalter, Psalm 1, and I'd like you to keep your scripture open as we make our way through this psalm this morning. When you're getting there, let me give you a little background. Psalm 1 is a wisdom psalm. That's the genre. It's a wisdom psalm. And Wisdom psalms typically contrast two ways of living that bring about different results. A wisdom psalm contrasts two ways of living that brings about different results. So here in Psalm 1, we're going to read about a way to live that will lead a person to be blessed, um, that will lead a person to life, to even eternal life, and another way to live that makes a person miserable and useless and actually leads to death. Psalm 1, verse 1. Blessed, happy is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. This first verse is an emphatic expression of a single and a simple idea. It's a picture of a person who has nothing to do with wickedness. This is someone who has determined that they are not going to give wrongdoing the time of day. They're not going to listen to it. They're not going to stand in it. They're not going to sit in it. Many, many a man, many a woman has made shipwreck of their lives by cracking the door to sin. You just crack that door to sin, then sin will do its job and kick it in the rest of the way. Charles Spurgeon, in one of his sermons on this passage, sees verse 1 even as a progression. He writes, When men are living in sin, they go from bad to worse. At first, they merely walk in the counsel of the careless and ungodly who forget God. The evil is rather practical than habitual, but after that they become habituated to evil and they stand in the way of open sinners who willfully violate God's commandments and 
if left alone, they go one step further and become themselves pestilent teachers and tempters of others, and thus they sit in the seat of the scornful. But the blessed person does not follow the paths of ungodly people. The blessed person doesn't keep company with those who are unapologetically sinful. The blessed person doesn't give audience to those who would mock truth. The blessed person will not allow his heart to become calloused and bitter and so turn into a scoffer himself. In sum, the blessed person shuts the door on sin and its influences. So I'd like you to consider this morning, especially if you're struggling these days, to know peace, to know contentment or joy. If you're unsettled, if you're unsatisfied, I'd like you to consider for a moment, what are you letting into your life? What would be a modern equivalent of this psalm? Where do you go to for counsel? And what is the faith position of those you allow to give you advice? Who do you associate with? And in what settings? How much anti-God messaging is coming into your life? via your computer or your television? And what are you doing to guard your heart? That last one is something that maybe we don't think a whole lot about. We just sort of assume that it's something we, we would do or we don't worry about. But the scripture paints a little bit of a different picture. It talks about our hearts as being something that need to be kept vigilantly. Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23 says, keep your heart with all vigilance. So we aren't often aware of the things that can impact us, that can harm us, that attack our hearts. So what are you doing to guard your heart against cynicism? What are you doing to guard yourself against doubt? What are you doing so that you don't become just another person in this daily parade of the scornful, who are never satisfied, who are always looking to cast blame, who are hypercritical? As the Puritan John Owen famously said, these are words just as relevant today as they were the day he first uttered them. Be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. Be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. The blessed person is the one who ruthlessly separates himself or herself from anything that lacks conformity to God's word, God's will, God's expectation. So if you want to be happy, and how many of you today would like to be happy? Most of you? Some of you don't want to be happy. Well, you'll get your wish. But if we want to be happy, don't walk, don't stand, don't sit anywhere near the wicked. The blessed person doesn't indulge in sin. Verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. I, this verse fascinates me. It fascinates me uh, on the one hand because of how I know I am predisposed to law. Uh, I'm not blaming anybody. It's how I'm wired. And it may be how you're wired too, but I want to take that for granted. I just want to ask you a question or two. When the stop sign says stop, do you want to stop? When the sign says, keep off the grass, do you want to frolic? 
when the when the sign says wet paint do not touch isn't there something inside of you that just wants to at least test and see if in fact that is wet paint that I shouldn't be touching there is something in most of us that rebels against the idea of law of, of, of being told what to do we actually would prefer if we had our way and because of our sinful nature to be a law unto ourselves to do things the way that we want to do them I really do believe that's why a lot of people move to Alaska because they want to go up there and just be a law unto themselves but we can we can uh, appreciate that right we can identify with that to a degree because we typically view law we view the law as a negative as something that is uh, constraining constricting uh, restrictive oppressive even and 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 so we think that we should be free and we would be happier if we just had no laws. But we are told here that happiness doesn't come from casting off the law. It actually comes from embracing it. So it doesn't come from getting rid of what God says to do. It comes from believing and practicing what God says to do. The blessed person not only doesn't indulge in sin, but finds delight in the law of God. And this word here in the Hebrew, delight means takes pleasure in. Finds pleasure in the word of God. In other words, God's law, God's commands, are not directions that God has given to us to make us miserable. And if that's your view of God and God's law, that that's, that's what he's doing, he's putting stuff on us that's going to make our lives miserable, you're not fully acquainted with the God of the Bible. Because his intent is not to make your life miserable. He is, or, or I can put it this way, we're not the top of the chain, right? We're told we're the top of the chain. We act sometimes like we're the top of the chain, but we are still created beings. And we have a creator God. And our creator God knows the absolute best way for us to get the most out of this life. And our creator God loves us and wants us to enjoy the gift of life that he has given to us. And in doing that, we're bringing him glory, right? So God's commands are for our good and for his glory. And satisfaction in life, this is wild and crazy and counterintuitive and countercultural, and this is how you can know it's true. Satisfaction in life comes from submission to the Lord. Satisfaction comes from submission. If we want to be blessed, we want to live life God's way. And so the question for us then today is, do we live in, do we have delight in the law of God? Do you meditate on it? Do you, do you meditate on it day and night like the psalmist here? Do you read it? Do you soak it in? Do you long for it? And some people will say, well, I'm not very good at reading, or I don't enjoy reading. And this is where I, as your pastor, say that's why we call it a spiritual discipline. Because there may be, and there will be times, and you don't want to pick up that word. You may be going through seasons of trial or spiritual dryness, and as you pick up the word, it doesn't, continue, it doesn't speak to you the way that it used to. And here's what I'm telling you. Read this Bible. When you feel like reading this Bible, and read this Bible to feel like reading this Bible. If you will get into that word and let the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit does, you will find again the pleasure that you once had in the word of God. And that's the way 
one of the ways to be blessed. And if you struggle with that right now, if you're, if you're in one of those dry spells, and admittedly, can't we say that we're all under a good deal of stress, right? There's a lot going on. And so one of the first things to go might be those disciplines of prayer and reading, or we just don't feel like it, we're not motivated to do it. If that's the case for you right now, I want you to take the counsel of John Piper in, in his message on this passage. He says this, Pray for new taste buds on the tongue of your heart. Right? Pray for new taste buds on the tongue of your heart. Pray that the Lord would help you to realign your priorities, to come into, uh, come into alignment with his. So the contrast between living God's way, choosing sin, continues in verse 3. The one who delights in God is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. So the one who doesn't walk, stand, or sit in the ways of evil, but who finds pleasure in the laws of God, will be faithful, vibrant, and successful. And verse 4, but the wicked are not so. They are like chaff that the wind drives away. So the metaphor that the psalmist is using here has something to do with the, the process of threshing wheat, which is absolutely something I know nothing about. I don't even know really what wheat looks like, to be honest with you. So I certainly don't know how it is processed. But at some point in that ancient threshing process, it seems that the kernels are cast into the air. And then the heavier kernels will fall to the ground. And the, the husk type, the paper-thin sort of stuff on them, would, after having been threshed, would be blown away by the wind. That is, that is the imagery that the psalmist is using here about the wicked. This is what happens to the wicked. They get blown away. You and I might be coming from this area a little bit more familiar with the idea of winnowing blueberries. We do that. We know that. We know that if you take a rake full of blueberries and you hold it over that bucket, you drop those berries in, and a summer breeze will blow away the stuff you don't want in that bucket, the leaves and the sticks and stuff like that. Well, that rubble, that rabble, that's the evil, and that's what's happening. It's going to be blown away. That's the metaphor that the psalmist is using here. Verse 5, therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Now, if you are a literal reader, uh, you come to verse 5, you have read the Bible through a few times, and you might put the brakes on right here and say, wait a minute, what do you mean the wicked will not stand in the judgment? What's he talking about? Isn't everyone going to stand in the judgment? Doesn't the scripture say it is appointed unto man once to die after that the judgment? And it absolutely does. So here's where we have to stick with the imagery to understand what the psalmist is saying. We have the righteous here pictured, right? One way to live. We have the righteous here pictured as a tree planted by the water. A well-nourished, we would say, a well-anchored tree whose roots are going to go deep into the soil. And we have the wicked. They're not grounded. They're not attached to anything. They're just blowing about in the wind. They are not going to stand in the judgment because they have nothing to hold them there. They have nothing to stand on. It would be probably better if we would say they will not withstand. They will not be able to withstand the judgment. They will not make it through. Listen, they will not make it through the wrath of God when he judges. The wicked will not withstand the wrath of God when he judges. Now, the wrath of God is what Jesus died to save us from. 
The wrath of God is what Jesus bore. The wrath of God is what Jesus absorbed on the cross. He hung there, a sinless Savior, while the anger of his righteous Father was unleashed. The anger of God was was poured out on Jesus for all the sins of humanity. And Jesus paid the price right there on that cross for all the times that you and I walk in the counsel of the ungodly, sit in the way of sinners, sit in the seat of scoffers. Isaiah 53, 5 says, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds we are healed. Jesus died to save those who will trust him those who will believe in him from the wrath of God, which is sure to come. The Apostle Paul was writing to the Christians in Thessalonica in the first chapter of his first uh, letter to them. He commended the church for joyfully receiving Jesus, and he noted how they had turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from what? From the wrath to come. Jesus delivers us from the wrath to come by enduring it himself for those who believe. But those who do not, those who will not believe, they're not going to be so fortunate. Verse 6, the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. The NIV says the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. The righteous are those who are in a right relationship to God. We are eternally guarded by God. We who are righteous by Christ. But the wicked, those who want or have little to nothing to do with Christ, they will surely get their way. And there will come a time where they will have absolutely nothing to do with God. John Newton is best known for his hymn, Amazing Grace. But you should know that's not the only hymn he wrote. That's just his hit. He wrote other songs. And uh, I want to share the lyrics to one of those to you that didn't quite make it to the top 40. Um, And I think it might have something to do with the title. It's called... Uh, day of judgment slash day of wonders so right off the bat I think the title's too long but it's also foreboding isn't it day of judgment day of wonders listen to what he wrote day of judgment day of wonders hear the trumpet's awful sound louder than 10,000 thunders shakes the vast creation round at his call the dead shall waken and shall rise from earth and sea. All creation will be shaken. Sinners from his wrath shall flee. See the judge our nature wearing, clothed in majesty divine. Those who long for his appearing then shall say, This God is mine. But the ones who have neglected Christ, the Son of God and man, shall cry out, yet be rejected. Hide us from the mighty Lamb. Horrors past imagination will surprise the sinner's heart when he hears the condemnation, stranger, from my face depart. But to those who have received him, loved and served the Lord below, he will say, come near my children, see the kingdom I bestow. 
So this separation at judgment, Jesus described it in Matthew 25. You may be familiar with the parable of the sheep and the goats. And we've got the righteous ones inheriting the kingdom prepared from the foundation of the world by their father for them that they are told to enter in. And then in the other line, we have the wicked condemned to the eternal fire prepared for the devil and for his angels. This separation in the judgment is foreshadowed right here in Psalm 1. Psalm 1, which teaches this. There are two ways to live that result in two vastly different outcomes. And the question is, which way are you living? Which one are you choosing? Are you choosing the way of righteousness or the way of wickedness? And the point, I believe, of the psalm, I think the hope for the hearer, for us, is that we would choose the way of righteousness. That given the option, we would choose the way of righteousness. And what that means is that we would forsake sin, submit to God, and find pleasure in the law of the Lord. That's what it is. This is happiness. That's what the Bible says is happiness. We have lots of other ideas out there, and we have lots of people telling us what happiness is all about, but this is what the Scripture says is a key to happiness. This is true happiness. This is how to be blessed in this life. Forsake sin. Submit to God. And find pleasure in the law of the Lord. We want to be blessed people, don't we? We want to be happy people. And we're grieving today as we have celebrated our independence and and, uh, lack of independence at times. We are grieving today to a degree in in the condition of our nation. And we are praying, Lord, heal our land. And some of us have just an idea that, well, God can just sort of wave his magic wand and everything will be fine. And I want to suggest this morning as we close that to be be a blessed person, we follow what Psalm 1-1 says, and to be a blessed nation, we become a bunch of people who are doing what Psalm 1-1 prescribes. That's That's how we get there. And therefore, we shouldn't have unrealistic expectations of how we're going to become a blessed nation. We should actually just be looking at ourselves as Christians as the beginning point. Am I following the Lord to be blessed? Are we, as a church, following the Lord to be blessed? From those points, we can become a blessed nation. The answers have become somewhat glib when we ask, what's wrong with us? And we say things like, Jesus is the answer, or we just need a revival. Well, in in truth, we do need to be revived. But as my friend Gerald Wilbur once said, I don't know if you can be revived if you've never been vived. And so what is needed is not only a revival in the hearts of God's children, but a spiritual awakening for those who have not yet seen the truth and the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ to be saved. That is what is needed for us. And I pray those those are the directions of your prayers for yourself to be on fire for the Lord, for the church to be the same, and for people who don't know him to come to know him in order that we might again be happy and be blessed. Amy's going to play a song that we would sing if we were singing. It's a brief one. It's called Heal Our Land. And I would just ask you to to think about these things, to think about whether or not you're blessed, to think about how happy you may or may not be, to think about our nation and to earnestly carry concern for our nation beyond this day and beyond this special weekend where we celebrate, but to be thoughtful about these things and say, Lord, help us 
heal us.